Kyle Brandt's Basement is brought to you by Caesar Sportsbook. Hey guys, welcome to the basement. Good to see you. Thanks for coming in here. We're going to revel further in the NFL head coach's photograph that comes out every year, right about this time it came out. I talked about it this morning. We'll get into a little bit more. I also going to talk about the one division that I think has everything on the line. Most interesting division in the NFL this coming season and offseason going into the draft. Every team is on the precipice of something, maybe good, maybe bad. We have to talk about that too. We have to talk about something that I hate, and it's coming out of Green Bay, and that's something I find, it's really hilarious, but it's more interesting about a couple of huge figures in media getting after it and all the fallout from that. It's so fun. Plus, we're going to do brand awareness. We do all kinds of fun stuff. It's Kyle Brand's Basement on a Tuesday. Thank you for joining me. Hello, YouTube. Let's start the show. What I love, what I hate, and what's hilarious. Come on now. I love the AFC East. I really do. I don't know if it's the best. I don't care. It's most interesting because there are situations that are tenuous. There are cliffhangers. There are wire walkers. There's all kinds of things. Stakes. There are stakes in the AFC East. And it's almost like you could define each and every team in there, all four of them, by really one sentence or in two seconds. It's nice and neat. Let's start. Do we just do it? The Jets, all in on Rodgers. Do it, get them, do whatever it takes to get them, and then do your damnedest to win a Super Bowl in two years and undo one of the worst histories, the most infamous histories, the most arduous, anguish-ridden histories in any team in any sport. It would be the most glorious Super Bowl parade. It really would. The Giants had one in New York City, and when Eli won a couple, they had already won Super Bowls back in the day. Jets, it's, it's been since most of their fan base was, was born, well before they were born. And if Aaron Rodgers did it, it would be just nuclear. Just nuclear. Go get them. Don't do squat. Then you paid them all that money. You traded all that stuff for them. And you still didn't do anything. You're still the Jets. Huge year for the Jets. Huge year for the Jets. Dolphins. Can Tua really pull this off and stay healthy? Everything else is great. Everything else looks really good. The Ramsey move, Tyreek, McDaniel. It's all great. It's all great until we're in the third series of week one and Tua gets tackled and he stays down and they bring him into that godforsaken tent and he leaves the game and doesn't come back. And maybe ever. Maybe ever. Maybe he doesn't come back to the sport. It is that thin of a margin here. And it's such a terrible thing we don't want to talk about. And certainly in the morning and when I'm talking on the NFL, we don't try to talk about it as much as we can. It's, there's a concussion thing. Tua has a recurring concussion problem. He's had several, it feels like. And if he gets one early on, it's like we have to talk about his football mortality. It's so unbelievable. It's a house of cards they have where every piece is great. And we looked at them in the playoffs and they scrapped with Buffalo with a third string quarterback. Tua's great. Tua played really well last year on stretches. In one second, the whole season could be like, well, what do we do now? There's no backup plan. They already took it. They want the future with them. Fifth year option, all that stuff. It's really, really walking a thin line that is really dark and sad, but geez, the Dolphins. Again, terrible history, terrible. You gotta go back decades and decades and decades since they won a Super Bowl. There's a common thread here with three of these teams. Patriots. You know they're sub 500 since Brady left? They are a below average team in the NFL since Brady left. 
They made it to the playoffs one time, got annihilated in Buffalo. There was the weird Cam year, the Mac Jones rookie year, which ended with that annihilation, and then the very strange Mac Jones second year, which ended as a ho-hum average team that did nothing. Now in the offseason, they lost one of their defensive legends to Devin McCourty, and they added Juju. You ready, to, you ready to say that they can win the AFC East? I sat across the table from Matthew Judon this morning, the NFL Network, their star pass rusher. And he's kind of saying, yeah, this and yeah, that. And I said, Matthew, I don't think you guys can win the AFC East. I don't think your quarterback's good enough. Bailey or Mack, I think they're limited guys. And they're in a division full of killers, adding one of the all-time killers in Rodgers. And they're in a conference full of killers. You guys are good on defense. You got this head coach. I don't think you can win the division next year. And he said, well, you know, we have a defense. I know you have a defense. You need a quarterback. Let's just call it what it is. And when do we start writing the chapters of the book? There will be multiple books written about the ending of the Belichick-Brady relationship, the beginning, the meat of it. What about the chapters in the end when Brady left, won a Super Bowl, got to the playoffs each year after he left, and then Belichick never really did squad. Never really, it never worked out. The takes are there about Brady was the tent pole holding up that whole operation, and Belichick was a failure with a prior team before Brady got there, and Brady this and Brady that. I don't think it's totally unfair if Belichick is going to crank out five or six seasons after Brady leaves and does nothing. <laughs> if they go next year and they go six and 11, let's say they go eight and nine or nine and eight and they miss the playoffs and don't win a playoff game. Belichick's had three years to, to get this sucker going. This is the season for him. Three straight years without a playoff win. They were saying like, Bill, how long are we going to do this here? This is not working. Four years? Five years? How many years do you give a guy who won that many Super Bowls and, until he decides he wants to retire? Or maybe you decide it's not working anymore. Big year for Belichick. Big year. I still don't know how they're going to do it. And then there's Buffalo. Tick, 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 tick. Kind of feels like the one sentence for Buffalo is bleep or get off the pot. Are we going to do this thing? Because it looked like maybe we were going to do it a couple years ago. And then it looked like we were supposed to do it last year. Mm-mm. Didn't even get to the title game either year. So it's awesome and it's fun and it's, it's, it's exciting to have a great quarterback and get in the playoffs every year and win the division and get the t-shirt. But even Josh himself came on the show and said he's tired of winning the t-shirts for division champs. Poyer's going to come back for one last dance, give all he's got, probably be pretty ready to be done after this year. What's Bond's deal coming back? Has he got much? I don't know. What's the Allen Diggs relationship? Does that have more than one season left in it? Don't know. You start asking questions about McDermott. We, we got to ask these questions now. You go into this year, let's see, losing the wild card, losing the divisional. <laughs> I don't know what we do because it's year after year and you start to get the feeling that I don't know. This keeps happening and happening over and over again. It starts to feel like some of those Aaron Rodgers Packers teams. Every year they're great. They never win it. They never get to it. That's the AFC East. One, two, three, four. Interesting. Which is the most interesting? Probably the Jets. But I think the Patriots are fascinating too with what they're looking at. With their, they're the head of that whole place. The Dolphins are fascinating. God, you know what's going to be the biggest shame of all time if Tua Tagovailoa goes down and has some sort of head injury next year? Great guy, promising young player, loaded team, could do some things. He's taking jujitsu classes to learn how to fall. I'm not making that up, to protect his head when he goes down. I don't know if that's an airtight solution. <laughs> I don't know if when you're getting sacked 
by Judon or anybody else in that, in that division or anybody else in that conference, if your dojo training can really preserve you if you are that much susceptible to that type of thing. I hope it does. I'm not sure it will. I can't wait to watch AFC East. I can't wait. Four for four. Now we'll find another team that's four for four interesting. Find another division. Usually there's a couple teams we don't give a crap about. All four of them in the AFC East are awesome. I can't wait. Let's move on to what I hate. So there's so much fun that comes out of the annual league meeting, singular, uh, in Arizona. And a lot of the stuff I like. There is one thing I saw today that I hate, and it comes from the Packers, and it comes from a guy I really like in Matt LaFleur, the Packers head coach, who of course was asked a lot about Rodgers, but also got into talk about Jordan Love taking over as the heir apparent. And this was the quote uh, that I saw that I think probably a lot of people saw that was on Twitter. And uh, Matt Schneidman tweets it, Matt LaFleur on Jordan Love. We all have to kind of temper our expectations for him. No, I don't think I will. I'm going to pass on that, coach. I'm not going to temper anything. Uh, I, I have really high expectations for Jordan Love, as I should, as we all should. I'm not tempering expectations for a guy who was drafted years ago now in the first round, who was drafted when you guys moved up in the first round to get him because you had to live with him. You couldn't live without him. And a guy who was sat on the bench year after year after year, waiting, watching, learning, waiting, watching, waiting, waiting. That's, the, I, I got it. I, I'm not, I'm not going to temper it. That's the guy who has changed the face of the organization. That is the guy who has set upon a ripple effect. My expectations are pretty high for Jordan Love, coach. Aren't yours? Let me just say, put it like that. Why, why would I temper anything? What is the opposite of temper? I'm going to raise it. Don't tell me to temper expectations. Because the dominoes started falling when the second you guys decided you had to have him in your team and your quarterback was pissed and he won a couple of MVPs. And believe me, that is a huge reason. That is the reason that led to the chain of events that Aaron Rodgers is leaving to go for the Jets. You had to have him. You had to do it. So... He better be ready. And if he's not ready, I put it on coaching. He better be ready. There is no, yeah, you know, we started off, uh, he got to crawl before he can walk. He's been crawling for years. The reason he's been crawling is your other quarterback is running away from the team. So, uh, no. What's that, the Captain America gif? At the, no, I don't think I will. I'm not tempering anything. If we're not excited for Jordan Love, a first-round pick who's been waiting for years... Who should we be excited about? That's a guy you're excited about. Um, we, can, we can drop the tweet. Uh, you get excited about that. <laughs> they should be excited about that. Can you imagine being a Packers fan? And you're, you're really mentally and emotionally conflicted. And you're saying, wow, Rodgers is leaving. This is really happening. Oh my gosh, he's really good. Are we going to be any good next year? Well, Jordan Love's really athletic, and we like what we saw from him in a tiny little sample last year. All right, let's get excited. Head coach, we need to just, hold on, just chill out. Temper our expectations. What? No. We're not tempering anything, Matt. 
We're raising him. Get him ready. I want that guy busting out. <laughs> I want him to be Patrick Mahomes meets Johnny Unitas because he ended a reign. He ended a reign of greatness in his own way. It's not his fault. I'm rooting for him. Jordan Love did nothing but show up and shut up. But I'm not tempering anything. In fact, based on that quote, I am now doubling down on how excited I am for Jordan Love. Temper it. Temper this, coach. I love you. There will not be any tempering when it comes to Jordan Love. We've waited. If he's not ready, get him ready. Let's get to what's hilarious. That's the best kind of notification. It's the sound of another sale on Shopify and the moment another business dream becomes a reality. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're selling helmets or cleats, Shopify simplifies selling online and in person so you can focus on successfully growing your business. Shopify covers every sales channel, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform. It even lets you sell across social media marketplaces like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. No matter how big you want to grow, Shopify is there to empower you with the confidence and control to take your business to the next level. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash brand, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash brand to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash brand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So there's something that came up in sports media, sports TV, that's been talked about all week and really all through the weekend and everything, it feels like, that I just find interesting because there's two guys that I find interesting. Stephen A. Smith and Dan Levitard. Two guys, full disclosure for me, that I've gotten to work with a little bit. I've made appearances on First Take via remote. Uh, I've had Stephen A. Smith on my Spotify show. Uh, as you know, I... I Coincidence, I sat with him in the Super Bowl in a, in a box. It's great. Levitard, uh, I've been on his show several times. I like it a lot. I really enjoy those guys. So good relationships with both of them. I have no bias. I have no leaning whatsoever in this uh, alleged dispute. But uh, Stephen A goes on to talk to Dan Levitard, and this exchange ensued. I hate what you two have done to sports television. You can say that all you want to. I would say, who the hell are you to sit up there and say me and him? What about you? <laughs> what the talking, hell were you I'm living talking, under a rock, I'm teaching at, at Miami U? You were part of it too. I'm talking. You ain't innocent. I'm talking about all the imitators that you have birthed. Uh, all of the all of the imitators that are all over the place, thinking without the journalism credentials that uh, the the point of all this is to turn it into an argument on television. Well, I would take umbrage of what you're saying in this regard, Dan. Those people who don't have a journalism background, um, who don't exercise uh, journalistic ethics and beyond, how are we responsible for that when our background is based on that? 
Skip Bayless was a journalist for decades. I was a journalist for decades. We came, we come on television and those ethics are applicable. The fact of the matter is, is that when I take a position, it's the same kind of position I would take writing a column. The difference is, instead of writing 800 words and being limited to that space, I get to talk for a few minutes on each subject. It's great. I find myself rooting for both of them. I love that Dan just comes out and says, I, I hate what you've done to sports television. And Stephen A doesn't even blink, doesn't, doesn't miss a beat, and just goes right back at him and then explains himself perfectly rationally. And I, I hear everything that he's saying. A couple things. Stephen A is right, and I'm not sure enough people know this, that he has a really pedigreed background and that this goes back over 30 years to newspapers and journalism and all the old classic old guard of journalism that he now has taken and channeled into what he does on TV and in the media. He also has a fascinating upbringing. It was really rough and he was around drug dealers a lot and he's told the story that he could have easily fallen into that and basketball pulled him out and really interesting stuff. What I hear from Dan, and this is what I, I, I understand, I think he doesn't hate Stephen A. He doesn't blame Stephen A. I think there's a resentment there from Dan in that, as he says, there are Stephen A. imposters and knockoffs and Fugazi Stephen A's. And if you know anything about what Dan does, and maybe you, if you only know him from on TV, his radio show is incredible. It, I, I, I adore it. I adore it. Because it is so original and so loose, and it doesn't sound like any other radio show in the world. I called in there for the first time ever, and they were just supposed to bring me on like anybody else would and ask me Cowboys topics and NFL this and NFL that. We spent the entire segment, like 12 minutes, talking about which athletes in the NFL had the best jawlines. And I don't know why. <laughs> I have no idea. But anyone else would look at that as a reprehensible segment. Irresponsible segments. Sponsors won't sponsor it. Listeners won't listen to it. They just do whatever they want. So... I think there is a little bit of a philosophical clash in what they do now. Because Dan has created this massive original world with Dan and friends and Stugatz and everybody there. And they are a club of friends talking about things, whatever comes up, sometimes very serious, sometimes erudite, sometimes asinine toilet humor. All of it. Stephen A. talks about the big topics, the important topics, and he talks about all the topics. And it's a little bit different in tone, and it's a little bit different in direction. I think the resentment comes from, I look at Stephen A. like a massive rock band that blew up. A generational rock band that has a very specific sound that you may like or may not like, but it is bold, and it is loud, and it is very successful, and it's selling a lot of music and selling out a lot of concerts. So, what happens is, when you get people who are trying to make their way in, whether it's on a podcast or it's on a local network or it's on some sort of fringe cable network and they're sitting at a table talking about sports, you see Stephen A and he is the face of ESPN and he is on every single platform and every article on ESPN.com is Stephen A's thoughts on this, Stephen A's thoughts on this. He's everywhere. And then you see what kind of money he makes, which is massive, massive, massive platform, massive money. You think, well, I want to have a platform and I want to have a lot of money and maybe I'm 27 years old so I'm going to try to do what Stephen A does 
The problem is you can't. And I can't. He's very good at it and he's very distinct. So you get a lot of people who think that what Stephen A does is yelling or acting indignant or taking umbrage in this sort of pro wrestling way that the knockoffs try to do. It's not. It really isn't. Um, I think what Stephen A does is he has a formula, is he has big opinions with big volume sometimes on big topics. There's, you're not gonna get much of the fringe stuff with him, the little silly stuff, the coach's photo he's not talking about. He's talking about the Knicks and the Yankees and the Cowboys, and he's having huge, massive opinions on it. And so you get these knockoff bands that have the same sound, but they're terrible, and they don't have the songwriting skill, and the lead singer's not as good, but they're all out there, and they sound like hell. And if you remember the 90s for a while, in the mid-90s, there was a million Pearl Jam knockoff bands, and they just sounded terrible, and it was just bad. And so I think Dan, who is also an incredible rock band in and of himself, hears him like, these music, they all suck. And I blame you guys. Because what you did then set off a million imposters. I don't think Dan blamed Stephen A for how he conducted himself. And Stephen A says, you were there. You did PTI for years. You did this for years. That's why it's a great back and forth. But I also think some of the resentment of Stephen A, which he does not deserve. I think Stephen A on his show, especially first take when he was doing it with Bayless, I think he, they brought about the idea of the hot take. Now the term hot take, I think has been bastardized and changed over several years. Now it just comes to terms, it means a big bold opinion about something. That's not what a hot take is or was in its inception. The term hot take meant really something that was deliberately bombastic and deliberate to get a reaction that you likely didn't even believe, but you're just saying it. That's what a hot take is. It's not saying that I think the Dolphins can win the AFC East next year. It's saying that uh, Patrick Mahomes is overrated and has one good season left before the league catches up with him. It's something that you don't believe, but you're saying it because no one else is saying it. And I think, I think people start trying to do that because it garnered attention. And I think some of that comes in the wake of how successful Stephen A was in doing things and how many clicks he was getting. They're like, well, I'll just say some crazy things that I don't believe in and maybe people look at me like I'm Stephen A. Then it became the thing about where I think it is right now, where I see this a lot in sports media and opinion shows, that it's not about being right. It's not enough to be right. It's about being right when everyone thinks you're wrong. That's what it has to be. It's about being right and being the only one who's right. Because that gets you internet fame. If you're the person who, and remember when everyone was trying to take shots at when the Patriots organization and the Patriots dynasty was gonna fall apart and this guy would say it's over and this guy would say Brady's washed up. Everyone's trying to be the first one in so you can be looked at as, you're famous, look at this guy, look at all these clicks. He said Brady was gonna be terrible. Or if you say, I'm gonna say that this guy is, is, is overrated and he sucks and we're gonna find out next year. Everybody clicks and you see your score go up like a video game and it's intoxicating and your employers love it and they tell you you've got a great platform and you get great interaction, but you're just saying it to get the interaction. So being right is boring. And I run into this a lot because 
saying the Chiefs are going to be good next year, that doesn't do anything for you. Everybody knows that. You have to have this crazy thing where you're the only one saying something. The problem with being the only one saying something is you're probably going to be wrong. And you probably sound stupid. And you probably don't even really mean it. So there's a lot of that now. And it all comes from the ability to stand out and the desire to stand out. You cannot line up and just keep saying, man, the Niners can really run the ball. And man, this, this Andy Reid's a hell of a coach. How do you have a job? You're, no, you're nothing. You have to be bold and you have to be different. And you have to be so different that no one is saying it. You know how hard it is to find an original opinion in the NFL? 50,000 men and women every single day are in the media talking about the same 32 teams. Sometimes you just can't. For my personal approach, I don't try to do that. My approach is try to be relatability with maybe a little comedy and maybe a little satire. I try to say the things that people at home are saying just because I can say I'm one of you and I'm your voice. Certainly sometimes I get into opinions that sure are nobody shares or maybe sound nuts, but I don't try to and I don't aspire to. I think Stephen A is guilty of coming to work every day for decades and having big opinions on big topics and zero apologies and being one of the first of this era to really nail that in the internet age. That's what he's done. The fact that people try to be like him and see the money that he makes and the platform that he makes, it's hard to listen to. And maybe I'm guilty of being it myself sometime too. Levitard comes from this cool, fun, morning zoo adjacent, smart, satirical place. And he probably hates all the knockoffs. I don't know. I like them both. I see what they are for what they are. I, I, I see Stephen A and I smile and it's a lot. And he knows it's a lie, but that's what he does. So I don't declare a winner in this thing. I know where both of them are coming from. And I don't think Stephen A is guilty of anything. You see a lot of people want to take shots of him. I think he has been a master and he was a master who's going to stay in the game a long time and has a lot of clicks. And listen, if you don't want him on, don't click, don't listen, don't talk, don't tweet. It, it, you know, they're similar to the Kardashians. Why are we watching them? What do they do? They make money and they make you look at them, dummy. That's... <laughs> They market themselves. They created a brand. I, I think he is a far, far more talented, far more pedigreed, far more tenured version of that type of celebrity. And uh, I don't know. I didn't even intend to do this to stand up for Stephen A, but I respect what he's built. Works his ass off, too. It's not really hilarious. It's more interesting, but we had a place to put it. In the meantime, let's get to what we call Brant Awareness with super producer Michael Flynn. Come on in here. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, Flynn, we haven't done Brant Awareness in a while. How you doing? What do you got? I'm doing well. Let's, uh, let's get right into the headlines, and let's start with Tom Brady, who's becoming a frequent contributor to this segment when we do do it. He tweeted a series of pictures with Rob Gronkowski, Julian Edelman, Danny Amendola on a beach, tossing around a football. Gronk appears to be riding a handheld jet ski. Kyle, what do you make of Brady's social media activity, and do you think it's any coincidence that he tweeted it today on 328? I would hope so. 
328 jokes are dumb. I hate those jokes. Especially from Brady. I mean, a big part of the reason it was 28 to 3 was Brady threw a big pick six in the first half. Like, <laughs> he messed up. You know, if Dante Hightower wants to tweet 28 to 3 jokes now in retirement, he made a massive play in it. I, I would hope to think it's a coincidence. I, I have even a darker response that I feel like it's some sort of optics war in his divorce and optics war that he's been losing in the sort of tabloid sense and every time i look up giselle's running around with somebody or dancing or doing something brady's never looked better he looks ripped as hell he's out with amandola edelman gronk and i don't know who that is it looks like scott disick i hope it's not him and he looks amazing my thoughts on i wish i was on that beach with him and it's good to be friends with brady then am i misreading this somehow I don't think you're misreading it at all. I didn't see you going in the Giselle direction. I want to focus more on the nice old time they're having on the beach. The the Gronk handheld jet ski. Have you ever done one of those? I wasn't familiar Hell with those. No. no, I've never oh. done the like the water propulsion jet pack. I've never done the handheld. It's always like if you go on a, a beach vacation, they offer excursions or something or, you know, water toys. And they're so expensive. And no, I have not done it. I, did you ask me that? Because you've done it, Flynn. No, absolutely no. not. Honestly, <laughs> when, when I when I when the tweet first came up and it was the four little pictures, I was like, "Ooh, Gronk's on a boogie board. We can talk about boogie boards." And now Gronk's not doing any boogie board. He's got some no. fancy handheld big thing. Let's uh, it is move on. It's funny that Brady's playing football. Like it, the right? pictures remind me of one of those "I'm comfortable in Wrangler" ads, except instead of being in a muddy field, they're on a beach. It's like a copper tone commercial. They're all ripped and like Edelman looks incredible in it. I would thought maybe Edelman would put on some weight or something because that's what we do in the media. They all look great. So happy for them. And um, I still think it's a little bit uh, performative for maybe what's going on in his personal life. Agreed. And speaking of Coppertone, you've got drunk in Coppertone position then. Anyway, let's move on. The NFL head coaching pick came out yesterday. You did a full breakdown of it on Good Morning Football. What makes you enjoy this pick so much? It's just so easy. It's the easiest segment of the year. <laughs> and also, that's the TV version of why I love it. What, why I love it, just looking at the picture, is that those are football men who are film junkies and gym rats, and they're all about ball. And for just really once a year, you make them kind of have to just stand there and look like a human being and smile. <laughs> They look uncomfortable, most of them. They look like they don't want to be there, and it doesn't it doesn't help that you stand them and always, always stare them directly in the sun. Half the coaches every single year are squinting with their head tilted. It says so much about their outfits. I like to see them in their street clothes because 90% of the time we see those guys, they're in team-issued sweats and jackets and things. I, I think it just says a lot about how someone, how they dress. Like, if you were looking at the picture now, and Matt Eberflus of the Chicago Bears, who's one of the more low-profile guys in the whole league, top row, fifth from the left, is wearing a kind of a sexy, tight sweater and appears to be very well-built. He's got these big pectorals that are bulging out of it. And I'm like, I've never looked at him like that before. I've been looking at that guy for years. And he looks great. And he's standing next to Sala, who is carved from granite. And Eberflus looks great. So there's just these hidden treasures in it. And I also like that having broken down this picture on the league's network for probably five years now, I've gotten feedback. Uh, I got feedback from McVeigh the first year he showed up and he's heard the pomade references and the Banana Republic uh, suggestions. He denied none of them. He said, yep, Banana Republic, I love it. They make great shirts. 
I used the pomade, like he, McVeigh completely owned it. And then one time I was talking about how Shanahan showed up for his first year as head coach wearing sockless loafers, high fashion, these like cool pants. And, and I just went, went off on him. I was like, Shanahan, you dog. Most of these guys are wearing, I don't know, Asics or something, some crappy sneakers. And you're in clearly designer loafers. This is a new era of head coaches. And he and the team president or owner, Jed York, saw this segment and word got it back to me that they enjoyed it greatly. So that's always super validating. My disappointment this year was some of the heavy hitters really didn't come through. Like, I couldn't think of a single thing to say about Dan Campbell. He's just standing there in a normal shirt with a normal look on his face. He's not giving me anything to work with. So him and then maybe McDaniels um, and then just some of the others, I, I just would have liked a little bit more. But you don't get a great year every year. Um, but I just enjoy doing it. My dream is to one day, Flynn, be able to go to the league meeting and do coaches photo arrivals as if you were Seacrest or something like that or like Juliana Rancic and like be like oh uh yes here you are um, Todd Bowles who are you wearing I want to do that and as if it's a red carpet event because it's just so awkward the whole thing and some of the coaches would get it and some would not but if I got a chance to ask Belichick who are you wearing Whatever he says is going to be gold. So every year I ask, every year they say no, but I'm still here in the basement talking about it. I feel like if you're getting the feedback from coaches and front offices that it's only a matter of time before you actually do get to go out there and do something with them. Uh, my takeaway from Campbell, uh, his shirt was untucked and on certain angles is a very long shirt. Like if you have a oh. long button down shirt, you got to tuck it in. It can't go all the way down there. Uh, the other one, I watched your segment and the other one I don't think you touched on was Zach Taylor. He wore a quarter zip over another shirt. And anytime I have to do that, like the quarter zip is itchy, especially where they're in Arizona and you've got the yeah. other shirt in there. So it starts poking out in places. The sleeves are weird. So oh, those were my takeaways that and the, the obvious Belichick, uh, Andy Reid leg hair interaction front and center. The only two guys wearing shorts are right next to each other, and they're the most accomplished coaches left in the league, but they're they're leg to leg with bare skin to bare skin. And if you've never been on a flight when you're wearing shorts and a stranger is sitting next to is wearing shorts, it's so, it's so bad. So thankfully that was probably only a short photo sesh for them, but I did still get like the heebie-jeebies just seeing their calves rub up against each other. Yeah, uh, let's let's move on from that. Uh, finally, you and I love our Disney talk, love the shirt. Yeah. I, got, I got a story that's going to make you very jealous. Nathan Firesheets, a gentleman from Georgia, completed what he called the Disney Global Ride Challenge, riding every ride. There are 216 of them in all 12 Disney parks worldwide in just 12 days. Your <laughs> thoughts? So, all right, that means he went to... France, where I think Euro Disney is, and isn't there one maybe in Japan? Where are they? Len, you know this stuff better than me. I have the order here. He started in France. He Go went ahead. to Disneyland Paris, and I actually think there's two parks there. Then he went to Shanghai, Hong Kong, Tokyo, then to California for Disneyland and California Adventure, and then back to Florida where he hit the four theme parks there. So uh, let me ask you this. How does he ride every ride in 12 days? 
when sometimes you have to wait 12 days just to ride Guardians of the Galaxy a single time. He's, he's jumping lines or something, right? Like, he, he, does he have, what is it, the Genie Pass and all that stuff? He, he definitely is. He's using Genie Plus or whatever it is that you use overseas. Uh, he's actually done this before. I pulled up his YouTube channel today, and the first video there was he did all the California parks and the Florida parks in 48 hours, and he actually wasn't able to do it the first time he tried it because he got stuck on a ride and missed his flight oh. to Florida because he was stuck on that ride. So he had to plan it all over again and was able to do it the second time. So I'm sure, I don't think he's edited the video for this one yet because it's 12 parks. I imagine <laughs> both it's going to take a while and his phone is full of videos. Um, but I'm sure there were plenty of stresses if he's traveling from continent to continent. All right, so I'm gonna give you an item and then we'll both answer. Think in your head of uh, knowing your knowledge of the parks, what ride do you think he got stuck on? Because I have my thought, and I'll go first while you think. I think, was it in Florida you said he got stuck? Yes. Okay, I, and then I got a, I was just there. I think he was on the Little Mermaid ride in the Magic Kingdom, which I have ridden like five times in the last two years. It gets stuck so much, it always stops. And what's funny is then when it gets stuck, it'll be like <laughs> Sebastian comes on. He's like, everybody, we having technical difficulties. So don't start swimming. Like, I don't, we says some dumb under the sea reference, but it always stops. And for sometimes six or seven minutes and you just sit there and look at Prince Eric. So I would bet that he got stuck on Disney, on the uh, Little Mermaid ride, your thoughts. That's not what I was going to say, but now that you mention it, we've been there twice. Uh, we have gotten stuck on it twice. Last year, it was either our first or second ride, and I was in the first uh, seashell with my smaller kids, and my wife yeah. was in the back with the bigger kids, and we got stuck right in front of Ursula, and they got Ooh. stuck in, in under the sea. So they were yeah, like perfect, yeah, yeah, happy-go-lucky. Yeah. We were in front of the most terrifying, right. gigantic thing. Period. Um, my guess was Space Mountain, just because we were there. It was going to be our last ride of the night, and we were—it wasn't—we weren't ready to get on it yet. So we were on that people mover, mm. the thing that goes through Space Mountain, and yeah. we got to Space Mountain, and the lights were on. And it was like, oh my god, I don't think the lights oh, are supposed to be on. And, and then, as soon as we noticed it was Space Mountain, we got a notification on our phone that it was down, and we couldn't go on it. So I was going to go Space Mountain, but that is the wrong answer. You are one thousand percent right that he got stuck in a seashell listening to Sebastian. I don't know over why. Over it's a simple ride. Yeah. It's just the seashells, right. and they just go on a track, and you see the characters. But it always stops. And my daughter and I got stuck under uh, Fletsum and Jetsum, and like the eels are scary too. And so yep. I don't know what it is, but if you know Disney World and you've been on the Little Mermaid ride, it gets stuck. It is your fantasy last round pick for like smooth operations. There's there's rides that are far more complicated that that run like a Swiss watch. That one, which is a pretty dumb ride, uh, gets stuck. I don't know why, uh, but I, I'm happy for this gentleman. Does he have children with him? He's doing this by himself. Like, no, it, it seems like he's doing it by himself. If I had to guess, he's like early to mid-20s. I don't know how he's affording to do it all by himself, but it appeared that he was right. completely by himself. Okay. I, I don't really want to see a grown man by himself on a Little Mermaid ride. <laughs> Unless his kids are in the other cell, that's watch list stuff. But hey, great job, buddy. You made it around the world. I don't know what you do next. You go to all the Six Flags or something. Uh, Flynn, always love talking Disney. Love uh, keeping the people updated the headlines. I'm going to throw a dart. I will see you tomorrow in the basement. Go to the sky cam, please. And today's topic randomly generated by number will be...
That barely made the board, but we are looking at a nine. A nine, and we're in the nine wedge, about 10 o'clock. Bring up the list for me so I can read the topic. Topic number nine would be, how long would you last in the darkness retreat? Hmm. This topic probably got put into the old hopper a few weeks ago when darkness retreats were running the world, but uh, I don't mind answering it at all. I thought about this, and when the darkness retreat stuff came out with Rogers, I was really intrigued by the idea of doing it. And um, like I would, I'm not really set up to do it just because I wouldn't want to be away from the family and stuff. But if I could, I would have liked to try it. The closest thing I came was a couple of years ago, I had to go to Australia, got to go to Australia for this show I did for Peacock based on the video game Frogger. And since it was still in the throes of COVID, when you traveled from abroad to go to Australia, you had to quarantine for 10 days in a hotel room, 10 days without even leaving into go in the hallway. They would leave your food out in front of the door. They would knock three times a day and leave the food there. One time a day, someone would call you and ask you if you were feeling well or having any negative thoughts, like this wellness check. It was pretty intense. And I loved it. It was a life adventure. There was, all, there was, there was you know, weights in there if you wanted to exercise. It was more like a, kind of like an apartment than a hotel room. And they would bring food and you're in Australia and they would bring beer if you wanted to. It was just great. And it was like this 10 day detox. Now, the lights were on and I had vitamin D and sunlight, I can't do it in the dark. Um, I think the answer to the question, after a one full day, you should figure you sleep all night and then you one full day of just walking around and bumping into walls and collecting your thoughts. I think I'm good. A day in the darkness. But 10 days in a hotel room, I was pissed when it was time to come out. Don't tell my family, I love them. I love you guys too for joining us in the basement. This is a Tuesday, we'll be back tomorrow. All kinds of fun things to talk about. Um, Sorry if you love the Little Mermaid ride, hate to spoil it, but it does get stopped a lot. In the meantime, we never stop. Like I said, back tomorrow. Thank you, love you. Exit through the garage, close the door on your way out.